Hello, and welcome to episode 229 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for... Sickness makes announcers recuperate through sedentariness. 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 Indeed. How do you pronounce that? My name is Rudiger Q Podcaster, (laughs) a.k.a. Trevor, and your name is... Julia Gulli of Internet Fame-Podcaster. Correct. Yay. So reports of our death have been slightly exaggerated. Just a bit. Um, So we've been very sick for the past couple of weeks, but now we're better. Yay. Thankfully. Um, And uh, that's all we have to say about that. That's that's all there is for news. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's actually other news. Um, In other sickness-related news, Mm -hmm. everybody's sick or could be sick. Mm Mm-hmm. And so pretty much, great. pretty much everything is being delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Black Widow was delayed indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman 1984 wow. was pushed back a couple of months. Um, I, I mean, James Bond, Fast and the Furious, those were delayed like six months and a year, respectively. Um, a bunch of the CW shows that were close to wrapping production for the season have had to shut down production. So who knows when they'll get to film the final few scenes of each of those seasons. Shows that were gearing up to start production, like season two of Star Trek Picard, have had to postpone that. Uh, post-production on, start, on uh, Star Trek Discovery season three has been slowed by this, but not stopped entirely. Uh, comics may or may not stop coming out for the, for the duration of this because print distribution has basically been suspended because Diamond, which is the distributor for pretty much all print comics in the U.S., is shutting down for the time being, and certain companies are releasing some some comics digitally, which is how we read them, but not all of them. And other times, I said they were going to release all their comics, but then they turns out they're not going to. So who knows what we'll have to read over the next few weeks? Um, yeah, so pretty much everything wow. <laughs> everything's going away for a while, basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, including all the shows, we won't have as much to talk yeah, about over the next few over the next few weeks because we may have no comics, no shows, and no news. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but we'll. We'll record. We'll just we may not have as much to talk about. Right, and this gives us a chance to do maybe a couple megasodes or themed episodes or stuff that we have been meaning to do, like oh, movies that we want to watch. We're going to do a Pixar Pixar rewatch, for example, or you know, you and I are going to read through the <laughs> JLA. Brian, Bri- what's his name? Morrison. Brian Morrison. I forgot. I forgot his name. Grant, Grant Morrison. Grant, there you go. Grant Morrison. Yeah, of course. I should have said it in a Scottish accent. That would have uh, primed the pump of my memory right there. But um, yeah, we might read that and talk about it. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Right. The only uh, the only real news we've had over the past couple of weeks is a rumor which was seemingly confirmed or at least independently verified several times over by various news sources um, that in season two of The Mandalorian... Uh, Ahsoka Tano will appear in live action for the first time and she'll be portrayed by Rosario Dawson um, who has been the focus of like a fan campaign to this <laughs> end for years now and she herself has said that she'd love to do it and everything so seemingly it's happening which raises all sorts of questions about um, you the know where, where she recording and stuff like that and well I mean I, I, it's safe to say that this won't be happening for a while because of everything that's happening but you know where this is in her timeline and where we'll find her and and so on like that raises all sorts of questions based on the way that uh, the way we left her at the end of Star Wars Rebels. <clears throat> we'll talk a bit more about her when we're talking about Clone Wars um, later in this episode. But yeah, that would be exciting to have her in live action for the first time. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah, definitely. That's I really- mean, I'm a big fan of hers. I've seen her in a lot of different things and she has an incredible range and such a, I don't know, just such, such a rich dimension to her 
acting. So I, I love her very much. Yeah, no, I think it'd be I think it'll be good. I was saying that off mic to you um, that uh, it's kind of a bummer for oh Ashley Eckstein Eckstein mm-hmm. um, because only, I think she, she only said... pronounces her name once. It's not <laughs> Ashley Eckstein Eckstein. I see. I see. Okay. Um, just because I heard her say in interviews that she'd love the chance to play her in live action, but who knows how that shook out? And I don't know if that was even on the table in yeah. in real reality. It could just be something that she said in an interview, but kind of a pie in the sky. Like in theory, I would love to do that, but then she can't do the stunts or something like that. I don't know. Right. Yeah, that's really the only news we have. So I think we both picked the same comic of the week. What was which was what? <laughs> Robin special, the the Robin special. Comma, the issue number 80? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean issue number 80? They do. They publish more than one issue a year. <laughs> it no, was the Robin, the Robin anniversary. The Robin 80th anniversary, super spectacular. Super spectacular. No, oh, I knew I was forgetting something. <laughs> Lord. So why did you pick it? Um, I can no longer remember. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was Illness full of has really... addled your once... <laughs> once feeble mind. Once your... <laughs> It has further addled my once feeble mind. I'm further enfeebled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where are we? Who are you? <laughs> um, uh, for my part, I really love the stories. We had 10 stories um, from different Robins. Uh, I'm sorry, from different and now creators, you're going obviously. to list them. Number one. Um, uh, the one by Tom King. <laughs> Number two. The one where Robin is Dick Grayson again. <laughs> I don't know. I, what are you putting me on the spot for? Just staring at me expectantly. I can't feel dead air like you can. Go ahead. <laughs> Which was your favorite of the the ten stories? I really like the one where um, I like the the last one with Damien in it because I thought that it was um, sweet. Yeah, the Super Sons yeah. creative team. Um, and I I really like the um, one of the first ones. I think the first one was really good, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I seriously can't remember. I can just. It was it was Dick Grayson, Batman. Oh, that's right. It was the Nudge. That was the name of the first one. Um, it was a really nice portrayal of the impetus behind Robin growing up to leave Bruce Wayne and become Nightwing. Um, and it was far more amicable than every other portrayal I saw of that event. And I just I like the story in general. How about you? Um, yeah, maybe the either the Tom King. Grayson one, like, you know, Grayson, mm-hmm. Agent of Spiral. Um, oh, by, that was fun. By Tom King and Mikhail Janin. Or, um, I mean, I'm I'm sort of a Tim Drake guy, but the, the Tim Drake story here was, was good, but it wasn't, like, fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe the James Tynion one, which was um, ostensibly a Tim Drake Red Robin story, but it was kind of him interacting with all the other different Robins as he tries to figure yeah. out what to do. It's kind of like a prequel to James Tynion's Detective Comics run with the Gotham Knights and everything like him it showed him assembling the team at the end yeah. leading right into the rebirth era um so that one was really good but they were they were all good i, I enjoyed them all i would say that that some of them um like the tim drake one or the stephanie brown one didn't really even to a certain extent the damien one because it was damien seen through john's eyes yeah. didn't really necessarily give the clearest impression like if you didn't know those characters already i'm not sure the the Super Sons one would have really told you what Damien was all about, really, because it's yeah, very cause tr- fair. Damien, yeah. as he teams up with with John, is very different than other Damien, Damien in most other circumstances. Sure. Although I guess there was the other, there was the last story, right, which was kind of like um, 
him and Batman at odds. Yeah. Um, you know, because of everything that he's got cooking over in Teen Titans with his like secret prison and mind wiping and everything. Right. That kind of gives you a better sense of where the character's at right now. But that and was their almost, relationship. But that too. was almost too in the moment. Like mm. for an evergreen book like this, you don't necessarily want it to be. Oh, read what's going on in Teen Titans right now. You want each story just to like perfectly encapsulate. But you know, it encapsulated a moment in time, which is this moment. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe so maybe the James James Tiny and Red Robin one or the uh, or the Tom King Mikhail Jannon. I know, like the Stephanie Grayson Brown uh, Robin as well. Yeah, with mm. the, the Damien Scott art. Yeah, that one was that one was good too. But again, like that's just sort of like she came out and it was sort of true to how she was written at the time when she was Robin. She was just sort of like the plucky girl Robin. I to, to me the character like was was great when Chuck Dixon was writing her a spoiler in his Robin run. Um, and then was was really great later on when she was Batgirl when Brian Q. Miller was writing her. But the period in between where she was like the interim Robin and then she was spoiler and she died and she came back like that was sort of a sort of a, you know, even though Stephanie Brown fans love to you know hold up her time as Robin is like, see, she was, you know, she was an official Robin and she was a girl and everything, which is true. But that wasn't exactly the period in time when the character was being written the strongest. So it's sort of a, you know, you have to take the good with the bad in that era. So, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was a really good, st- a really good book. I think that the next one we're getting there's like a Joker 80th anniversary thing coming out soon, um, and I know they're doing a Green Lantern one too. Um, I'm not sure they're doing a Flash one because we just had Flash 750, which I feel like is kind of the same purpose. I'd right. have to look and see if it's exactly 80 years for some of those characters. But um, and similarly with Wonder Woman, like it would be Wonder Woman's 80th anniversary next year, I think. But we just had Wonder Woman 750, which is a big anniversary issue. So well, I'm not sure if we're getting an 80th special for How her How do we not. go from 750 years to 80 years? I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> so for our activity this week, I thought uh, spinning off of what we were just talking about, um, I call this, this little activity Rank the Dicks. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to... Uh, so there's five uh, five portrayals of Dick Grayson here mm-hmm. in various in film or TV, and so I thought it would be fun to rank our favorite portrayals. Ooh. So this so this isn't necessarily like because I know sometimes when we were talking about you know favorite actors in a role or whatever in some other instances, um, it would be hard to separate the portrayal from the writing, for example. Yeah. So just consider. Consider everything. Like, even if you thought the actor was great, if the writing let them down, then they shouldn't really be number one because that's not the best. That's not a great portrayal of the character just mm-hmm. because the acting is great if the writing is weak. You're you know? saying so, the culmination and the presentation yeah, the of the character. Yeah, the way the show presents not, the character. Yeah. Everything from the, you know, the, the character design to the acting to mm-hmm. the writing to the, you know, the arc if, that the character may have over the course of the show, you yep. know, whatever. The way they interact with other characters, how true to the comics they are, you know, whatever you want to consider. Yep. Um... Okay, so five versions. So I think you're familiar with all of these. Uh, so number one, I guess, you know, I guess technically I'm skipping over some of the really early ones, like from the movie serials, but you hadn't seen those anyway. Um, so number one, Batman 66, Burt Ward, right? Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. Number two, Batman the Animated Series slash the new Batman Adventures. So Lauren Lester as as Robin and then later oh, Nightwing, yeah. right? All the Bruce Tim animated stuff. Yeah. Uh, number three, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, Chris O'Donnell, right? Yeah. Uh, number four, Young Justice, Jesse McCartney, right? And then number five, uh, Titans, Brenton Thwaites in the the live at current live action Titans show. Yep. Okay. Um, this is great. I think my very favorite one is Lauren Lester um, from Batman the Animated Series. The, that whole, the whole way he was written in that 
drawn the art and the voice acting consistently for the for the entire library of the show um just that's that's my favorite that's my favorite portrayal of dick grayson robin slash nightwing um second would be teen titans um sorry which one young justice there you go when he was um I really like that portrayal. That's my second favorite portrayal, just because it feels like um, a hand-in-hand con- continuation, but also um, a really rich character development, a warmth. You see the leader, you see the the exact character you would imagine Dick Grayson to be, and uh, all of his friendships, relationships, ideologies, everything is intact in that show, and I really like it. And also the art is amazing. Um, third, I really like... Um, I really like the Titans version. Um, I think it's different. It has a different spin and flavor, but the acting and the writing is really good and it understands who it was before it makes who Dick Grayson is and was before it makes any sort of artistic changes and, um, you know, differences. Um, and then I, <laughs> I love Batman 66, Burt Ward, because that's the original. So um, that's kind of hard to pick him as fourth it feels like it's an insult but i i hold this one in high esteem because it's a really strong introduction to who batman um batman took as a ward and who um batman partnered up with and that's how he was when he was originally debuted and written so it's a very fair and um solid portrayal and who doesn't love dick ward so he's awesome and then um, the last one is Chris O'Donnell, just because I feel like they didn't really understand who the character was before they wrote it. I think the actor did a good job with what he was given, but that wasn't Dick Grayson. That was like an alternate universe, I suppose, like um, not from source material Dick Grayson, like Dick Grayson in name. But um, yeah, not really a strong portrayal of the character. And it's not the actor's fault. It's just the way that they were writing and um um, building that character. How about you? So I think that my overall order is probably similar. Um, I mean, for, for like nostalgic sentimental reasons, I feel like the Batman, the animated series version is, that was like the version of Robin that I, so that, that I yeah. grew up with. Mm-hmm. But I think if I were to try to be objective about it, I think that the young justice version is better. I mean, you can't really rank the, 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 the actors performing the roles because they both did an, an excellent job yeah. and and they're being asked to do very different things but i think that um i think that young justice because you know it's it's a modern show telling a serialized story where the character was allowed to to mature and age um gradually as opposed to the batman the animated series version where he was like happy go lucky robin for all three seasons and then there was a time jump and he was Broody Nightwing. Yep. And then it wasn't really resolved. You know what I mean? Because he only got four or five appearances as Nightwing or something like that. And Fair. Then, you know, but it's just the way it was, you know, those were, it was a very episodic show. It mm-hmm. was for younger audiences. And they, you know, it was, it was interesting that they were able to give him that much of an arc. I mean, you got the great two-part origin story, Robin's Reckoning, and then yeah. culminating with all the Nightwing stuff. But... But Young Justice got to tell all those stories naturally and got to tell more, show more sides of the character that are important, like, you know, how, 
all the all the same ground that Batman the Animated Series covered, like yeah. his young, free-spirited Robin days, looking up to Batman, not wanting to be Batman, maturing into Nightwing, but also got to tell like his friendships, like with Wally West and 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 all those other characters. Yep. Um, his romantic relationships, which the Bruce Timm show never really got to get into, his role as a leader, which is very important to the character. Um, they got to do all that because they were. You know, it's a more modern show, and they got to to sort of flesh out the character more. So I think I'd have to give it to to Young Justice um, over Batman the Animated Series, and then I think I would have to, um, yeah, I think I'm, I think I have to put Titans for number three um, for all the reasons we've talked about. They did a much better job with the character in season two and kind yeah, of ma- made true, it feel yeah. like a real uh, Dick Grayson character. I always really liked Chris O'Donnell as as Dick Grayson in those couple of movies, just because you know the age I was growing up, he was like, oh man, he's really cool. He's like a cool, mature Robin. He was a bit bit more of a bad boy than than he was in the comics. But I mean, look at Titans; it's not that yeah. different than than the sort of darker, broodier version. He was. And then you know, you get to Batman and Robin, and everybody was light and fun in that movie. But I think that I think that he did a good job. Um, I mean, he he's he's very watchable in both of those movies, and I think that. You know, put stick him up against Val Kilmer and and Batman Forever, and Val Kilmer is good in other stuff, but he was to me like just such a a non presence like, yeah. as Bruce Wayne in that movie, and and you watch him with Chris O'Donnell in those scenes, and Chris O'Donnell is like doing all, all the work, work. <laughs> like like he's yeah. he's the one that's like you know energetic on screen that the audience is like identifying with, yeah. and Val Kilmer is just like. There, yeah, know? yeah, and you've got Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey in that movie too. So the movie's not lacking for energy and, and charismatic yeah, performances, yeah. but they're almost playing cartoon characters. So yeah. the, the, any sort of emotional heart in that movie is is Dick's arc in that movie. Yeah, and the arc where he wants to get revenge on Two Face, but then in the end decide you know justice and so on rather than vengeance, and yep. you know, and then in Batman and Robin he's having fun and everybody's having a good time there and he has I feel like he got a lot more to do bouncing off of George Clooney because George Clooney is probably a better actor than Val Kilmer and he was also like investing a bit more charm yeah he and, was and, he and was into that role more and so they had a bit more back and forth but the idea there of, of Dick Grayson is like a slightly younger what brother was it Ger- Clooney owes me one <laughs> well the idea of Dick Grayson is like a slightly younger brother to Bruce Wayne like yeah. sort of like a um uh a hot-headed nephew character as opposed to like a true like a son like a young boy that he has to raise yeah. is um is something that other versions have done a little bit but it's sort of an interesting take on the character instead of having him be a young kid right you know he doesn't need a father he needs a partner basically right, right? he needs uh, kind of like a big brother and it's sort of an interesting thing there and then Burt Ward obviously did it did a really good job with what he was given but it's it's a show which is not which was not intended to have deep right. characterization or arcs and or it was definitely so. written for smaller kids you know yeah. like kids so um yeah the, the the stories weren't super super deep and uh the characters didn't really have a lot of like emotional um challenges ahead of them so it was it was a little more two-dimensional but there was so much character and love um that was obvious in the the portrayal and the presentations of the characters in that show i just love it i love it <laughs> some days you can't get rid of a bomb <laughs> it's so good so should we talk about our shows? Yes. So obviously we got a bunch of shows stacking up. We're not going to go into super detail on all of them, but we've Broad got strokes. we've got episodes of Batwoman, Supergirl, Flash. We've got Black Lightning. Feels like a million years since we saw Black Lightning. Yeah. But believe it or not, we've got an episode we haven't talked about. Yeah. Legends of Tomorrow, uh, Star Wars, Clone Wars, and Star Trek: Picard. Yeah. So the stuff that's going on with Batwoman these days, we've got um, 
we've got, I'm trying to remember like exactly where we left off, but the alternate Earth, Beth, was killed. Yep. And then we've got, so now we've got Alice trying to sort of stay under the radar a little bit, although she's seemingly yep. outed, you know, and then yeah. imp- imprisoned at the end of this most recent episode. But the whole thing with Kate learning more, learning more about um, Alice growing up, yeah. you know, with Cartwright's mother, yeah. the, the Red Queen or whatever yeah. she called her, mm-hmm. learning more about her, her history there. Um, and then uh, Kate killing Cartwright and, and Alice sort of trying to make them feel like they were the same. I, I like a lot of those scenes in the most recent episode. It, it's a, it's a, the, rela- the relationship between them and the actresses are doing a very I good know. job too where it's like Kate, Kate wants, I'm sorry, Be- uh, Alice, mm-hmm. Alice. kind of wants, wants Kate to think they're the same so that they can like have a relationship and be yes. together. Mm-hmm. But then there are scenes where you see where where Alice can see how much it's breaking Kate's heart to have killed this guy, mm-hmm. and you can see her, you can see Alice faltering. Where yeah. she she's like she instead of trying to rub her nose in it, which is kind of what she wants to do, right. she kind of can't help but console her a little bit, yeah. Because she also doesn't want her sister to be to be miserable pain, because yeah. she still loves her, mm-hmm. right? Despite everything, so it's really and I feel like, you know relative merits of the actors aside i think they're both doing a very good job i think that rachel skarsden is is doing the bulk of the work there because kate in the past couple of episodes has just sort of been like self-flagellating and it's kind of you know it's what the script is calling for but it's fairly one note as far as like what yeah um what she's being asked to do what ruby rose is being asked to do whereas alice like i say is playing all these different you know like mm-hmm. she's crazy but she's you know, she wants her sister to kind of go crazy too but she also wants her sister to like to be happy because she loves her, but she wants her to be together, but she's also being betrayed by her, or is she also planning on betraying her? And, like, there's a lot of layers there to play. Yeah. You know, she wants to rescue Mouse, and she also wants to go on this adventure with Kate. Yep. She's glad that Cartwright is bit dead, but she probably would have rather she did it herself, and she's rubbing their dad's nose in the fact that now they're the same. Yep. And, you know, like, there's a lot going on there, and she kind of has to play a lot more dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think that it's. I think that it all that is is coming together nicely. I think that the, and the stuff is interesting. I didn't expect it to come back in the way that it did. I didn't expect it to be a subplot. I thought it was just a one-off episode about how we learn about these corrupt justice officials and the cops and the judiciary and everything. But now with the the person who was jailed for killing Lucius Fox, um, is that is that like? Am, I don't know. Sometimes these shows make stuff up. I shouldn't assume that it's true, but I feel like if you if you're request for retrial retrial is granted do they mm-hmm. just let you walk free until you're like if you're wouldn't you'd have to grant bail again wouldn't you surely like you wouldn't just you're you're being charged for murder you're going to it's going to be retried and you just yeah you just you can just go on the streets for for a couple no, months you, until you can yeah you, well you, i know it can be done right. but in this case where he's still accused of and is about to be tried for the murder uh. of a prominent gotham businessman yeah i'm you think yeah. that, they, that there would be bail required or something at the very least you know what i mean you wouldn't just say like, yeah, you're free on your own recognizance. Don't leave town. You know, like, I don't know. That seems Maybe. seems a little much. But they needed to get him out there so that he could be shot. But that exactly. That could be the uh, the that could be the further evidence of strings being pulled. I guess. But it didn't um, really read that way. It read like like this is like this is something that is de rigueur. It but was, it's, it's yeah. angering Luke because he's personally invested in it. But to everybody else, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, this is the way this just the way this this would go down. I don't know. I wonder, part of me wonders if maybe they're building to him. It seems too early, but sometimes these shows really, really do this stuff early on. Like, are they building to him being Batwing already, do you think? Like, is he going to, like, put on some, is he going to make some sort of suit for himself to, 
to help out now that he's because he's got like a personal stake in this investigation yeah. now in the way that he was just sort of huh, there to help Kate before. I don't know. Was, I didn't. I, I didn't start to see that. I bet. I bet season two. I bet season two. We see. You think so? We see I, whether he's going to be out there every. I. She needs all these characters need like. The guy in the chair, right? Right, yeah. So exactly. I don't think he's going to be out there all the time. I think it might be like a Cisco vibe thing where sometimes he suits up and goes out, but other times he's still back in the lab. Right, you know, doing in work. Her mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, Supergirl. So these past couple were good. So the the one, uh, Reality Bites, which was the big um, issue episode about uh, uh, trans hate crimes, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Um, I don't know. Part of me felt that, I mean, who am I to you know, pass judgment on something like this. Obviously, this is a real thing, which is, you know, an important issue to many people. And it's like a real danger facing them. But it felt a little too after school special to me. The thing that rang false for me was the way that it, it, it treated, it treated the Nia character and her concerns with unfairly with kid gloves. Like, like just because this is a terrible thing which has happened to a friend of hers and is and is besetting her community yeah um she, when she's like okay Kara, i'm gonna give you like a day to find this guy and then we're doing it my way and i'm gonna kill him and that's the end of the conversation like yeah. there's no way Kara wouldn't say no wait a minute yeah <laughs> it's not <laughs> why 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 do i have this arbitrary deadline and then you get to go kill the guy no we're gonna, <laughs> we're going to do it my way no matter how long it takes you know what yeah. i mean like i'll be here to help you and support you and if you want to be the guy to bring him in mm-hmm. that's fine but we're not going to go out there and kill him yeah. but instead it's like oh because she was because nia and her community were wronged mm-hmm. then all of a sudden she has been car is like well i guess she knows what she's doing no she doesn't know what she's doing she's yeah. going to kill the guy right but it's like, oh, because because her community is wronged. Then yeah. it's like, no, that's not how it works. Like anybody who's got a friend that was like, not to false equivalency, but anybody's friend who was beaten up or targeted for a hate crime or whatever, like it happens to all communities. Yeah. And it doesn't justify revenge murders, right? Yeah. Like just because this is the topic of the day, it, it treated it. And then at the end where Kara goes to her and she's and she's like, you know, She's trying to talk her down at the end, and she's like, you know, none of us knew what you were community, what what you and your community were going through, but now we know, and now we can be on the lookout. What do you mean now you know? Yeah. Did it? Were you un- were you unaware were you? Yeah. that there were that, like non-binary people were being targeted by hate crimes in this country or like, in other countries? Ju- yeah. You just realized that, and now you're going to be on the lookout. The like that felt really facile. It to did. Me. Like, it did. Yeah. You don't like you can you can treat her. It, to me, it almost diminished the issue because Kara wasn't treating her like an adult she wasn't treating her with respect she was treating her with such hands-off kid gloves yeah like no like if she's a, an equal to you and a superhero and all these other things yep. you can talk to her like an adult like a real person you can hold her accountable for her own actions mm-hmm. and hold her to the same standard that you you know that she should be held to instead of just being like okay i guess you're going to go off and kill people because your community is being t- like right it felt it felt too facile to me yeah so i'm sure i'm sure it was you know an important episode for the actress to film because of her history of activism and everything. And I'm sure it was, you know, an important episode for the writers and I'm sure they consulted people and so on. And it's not like it was a bad episode. I just felt like it, there were parts of it that were a little bit too unnecessarily two dimensional to the point of sort of not taking, uh, 
I feel like it sort of shortchanged the portrayal of the character because I would never credit Nia Nal or Dreamer with murderous rage. You know, I think that as a superhero, she has an ethical code that she goes by. That's Supergirl's code, and that's that's you know better than even Batman's code because Batman I could see crossing the line, but not somebody who is of the caliber as Dreamer and as Supergirl. So the 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 fact that it takes just one guy doing something horrible which happens you know a lot but it's 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 not it's not a fair portrayal of her to suddenly just say okay i'm gonna kill this one person like that it is definitely a thing on these cw shows there where even the most pure-hearted hero if they're if they do it if they decide to do an episode where the hero is suddenly tempted to kill yeah then they can they write themselves into it in like five minutes. Like wh- which which hero in these shows hasn't been tempted to cross the line at one yeah, time or another? That's like, the point. That's every time you go out, it's harder to take the person down, take the offender down with the hope that they yeah, can. But not be Not everybody needs to be tortured but, and conflicted like right. that. Like you know. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, it would have been a better episode if she had been furious, angry, and wanting to do things her way. I think it would have been even better if she worked within the. I somehow highlighted the fact that she knows this community and was able to have information about it that insider information kind of similar to how they wrote it where she you know she posed she she uh, made her own profile and um, made herself bait um, that made perfect sense to me but something even deeper than that something to highlight the the fact that she knows things that the other characters don't know by dint of being part of this community and was able to solve the crime on her own terms but that it's not over because it's never over because there's always some bottom feeding awful person trying to do the same thing so um you know have it be bittersweet that way have her be angry about that but don't be like suddenly i'm gonna murder yay like that doesn't it's, it feels too it feels like her character was shortchanged because of the way that that was handled. It's not a perfect analogy, but like the the I'm trying to think of like other big issue episodes that these shows have done, and I and the only one I can think of is like the Arrow episode that was about um, gun violence and, oh, and gun yeah. laws. <laughs> yeah, and similarly, that one felt kind of facile, where yeah. it kind it kind of dis, it kind of broached the topic, but then at the end, Oliver Queen Oliver Queen in a way that we never really saw. Apparently, or understood. Apparently, just solved, solved gun yeah. crime. He just solved it in one episode. We're going to do this, but you won't know what it is. We're going to solve this, and this is how. And then so, everybody's clapping. And I mean, we're they like, get what? they get some points for for raising the issue and discussing it. But if you're if you're just going to, you know, graze the topic like that, then I don't know. Maybe it's better to not even bother. I mean, you know, there is something to be said in this particular, and you know, I could say the same for that era episode about gun crime. But does anybody really? <laughs> not not aware of the epidemic of gun violence in this country but yeah. in this episode one could argue perhaps that especially for like maybe the supergirl audience which might skew a little younger perhaps yeah. that maybe it's important to raise awareness of this issue in a way that probably don't need to raise awareness of gun violence i mean one could argue that that you always need to raise awareness of it but i don't think there's anybody out there who's not aware of it but in this case one could argue that there's like a segment of the supergirl audience that that doesn't really understand this issue or isn't aware of how how dangerous it is out there right. for trans people and so so but still i mean if you're going to do it i feel like you can maybe do it in a bit more of a mature manner but but anyway um the past couple of episodes of flash were good too so mm-hmm. the whole thing with the death of the speed force and then um barry's now going to try to like construct his own speed force and then you had the whole thing with nash being um 
like ha- haunted, haunted or, or yeah, inhabited by Thon. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little unclear on why he's being in- inhabited by Thon because last time we saw him, Thon, you know, was in the future and Nora dissolved and and everything, but Thon wasn't like disintegrated. Like he still was running around in his normal body in the future last yeah. we saw him. Yeah. So I don't know why now all of a sudden he's incorporeal and inhabiting Nash. I don't know because it's think not it, like he got. He's not like he was one of the wells that was collapsed into exactly, Nash. Because exactly. as they mention in this episode, he's not a real Wells, right? And he d- didn't come from another Earth anyway, so he wouldn't. It have has been. to be comic book science away because they didn't really go into depth about why this was there, and they even did bring it up to their credit. They did bring it up like he isn't even a real Wells, like he just inhabited his body in one timeline. But they didn't answer why that could be, and sometimes it's because the characters don't know the answer, and so we just have to kind of live with the truth. But I give them huge props for actually bringing it up and being like, okay, so we know that this is the state, but we don't really have an answer for it, so you're just just gonna have to use your imaginations yeah i mean Fair. if they want to tell Why a story not? where thon was incorporeal and he's inhabiting people that's fine i just feel like you could have had another story in there where it show him you show him being disintegrated or something and oh leading a, yeah but, by but, the, but i don't okay, know like every the, time we every time we catch up with thon in the series his status quo is vastly different than it was last time like i he, know yeah sometimes sometimes he looks like matt lesher sometimes he looks like tom cavanaugh yeah. right and yep. there's not really it's like whichever actor is available that time is the guy that you know what i mean exactly like he couldn't be tom cavanaugh over in legends of tomorrow because tom cavanaugh has to film the flash every week so we'll get matt lesher to do it there right but then next time we see him for the next crossover all of a sudden he looks like tom cavanaugh again and it's yep. because we have tom cavanaugh here and we're already paying him so we'll get him to play the nazi yeah he's like you know what i mean yep so mm-hmm. sometimes he just he just shows up and it's kind of it's kind of the same way in the comics where reverse flash will just show up and it doesn't matter whether you thought he was dead or what his situation was he's back and it's like well maybe we'll explain it maybe we won't but he's just he's one of those villains that always comes back and can never really be killed you know yep um yeah but these were good episodes black lightning i thought the uh, the season ended on a strong note the fight yeah. with gravedigger was was good the way that the whole occupation thing wrapped up at the end was interesting Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been like three weeks or so since we've seen it, so a lot of the, a lot of the details. Are I love starting Khalil's to... uh, arc in this as well, where yeah. he really takes control of himself. And I'm finally feeling it finds kind of balance. bouncing around too much, though. Like, um, just in the span of a few episodes, it's like, oh, he's he's back, but he's brainwashed. Oh, we'll lock we'll lock Painkiller away in this thing. Oh, Painkiller's out. Oh, we will. Well, he locked him away again. Oh, he's out again. Oh, now he's taking control. Oh, wait, now they're kind of reaching an understanding. Oh, no, wait, now now Khalil's taking control again, but he's able to like incorporate Painkiller's skills in a way. I think it's, it's an like, interesting fight. Oh, he's leaving fight. town. Now he's coming back. Now he's going with them to Markovia. All right, now all he's right. coming back. Well, you're summarizing it in kind of an uncharitable way because that's not, I mean, they didn't really bounce back and forth that heavily. I felt like it was um, pretty well presented because it started out where you think it starts out where he doesn't have control and he doesn't have trust within himself. He's, he's scared. He's scared of the situation. He doesn't know what to make of anything. Um, and then when Jennifer's life is on the line, that's when he is able to, I mean, he's motivated to, to stop to try something, to, tr- to try to fight. And he realizes that um, the coding is based on uh, the existence of painkiller. The code isn't written from scratch. It's written from pieces of himself that already exist that were able to be utilized to form this painkiller persona. And it's very real that he could lose control, but it is within his control. And now that he's gained it, I feel like we're going to see interesting things from him because... Um, it's Khalil again, and he has an understanding uh, with the situation um, and with the alter ego that he could become if he needed to or um, if something bad happened. But 
it's just it's I think it's satisfying. I like it and I really love the acting. My god, that that guy is talented. He's great. What did you think of the decision to kill off the Henderson character in sort of like oh, a random man, a random that broke my heart. But woods. that's that's how war works. It's always going to be random and senseless and sad and and that death scene was Oh man, that, that broke that, me. That, that read to me as the actor wanting to leave the show, not think so? not the not the writers deciding on it. Because I don't know. There's you can kill off a character, you know, you can kill a character in a bunch of different ways. You can do it in a way where in like the dr- dramatically satisfying way where it's like the culmination of their arc, or you can do it in a way that shows that death is random and any character and could senseless. die at any time. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily Touch need to arc. feel like some some, you know, culmination of anything. But sometimes the latter can feel like too can feel too sudden. Hmm. I don't know. Like it, it, it just felt like like there was no reason why it, it, it felt too random. Like it didn't feel random in an interesting, deliberate way. It felt random in like our hands were forced kind of way because there's no reason why it had to be him or why anybody had to die in that scene. Or you know, like it just felt like oh, here's a, here. I guess he got hit and he's dying. But Maybe. it didn't. It didn't have like no one had to die there. And, and at, at that point in the episode, like at that point in the arc, it wasn't like he a character was called needed to sacrifice himself to accomplish something. Or it, no re- no reason why it had to be him. It could have been anybody, you know, or nobody. Like that, you could have cut that scene out. You could have cut him out of that episode entirely, and it would have been exactly the same. Yeah. You know, and if he just not showed up, you would have been like, oh, I guess he was off doing whatever. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just you just felt like you dropped a scene in there where he died. And you could, and then like the very next scene, Jefferson is not, you know, like he doesn't seem as, like he's enraged. He's fighting Gravedigger and everything, but it's not like the de- Henderson's death propelled him to I the didn't, episode. Yeah, I didn't really like. Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. It so wasn't I, really. Cool. So I, I, ha- I, I, I actually, felt like Lynn's response. I'm sorry to cut you off. I, I felt like Lynn's response was a little bit short because this is a friend of the family. So why is she saying I'm, I'm sorry, Jeff? I know that they were best friends, and um, I know that she was trying to be comforting, but I feel like she, as a multi-year friend of his, Henderson's as well, would have felt the pain of his loss and it didn't come through yeah if you're gonna kill if you're gonna kill a major character it's one thing to do it in a sudden surprising way but it should at least reverberate throughout the episode it should pay off it should at least make some sense in retrospect thematically or it should it should propel the characters into an interesting place for the next season or something and here it just felt like again it was just here out of the episode mm -hmm. and so i kind of suspected something like this was going to happen because the actor posted on social media oh well i've just i filmed my last day on black lightning thanks for three great years or whatever and i'm like why would you say that before the final episode is aired so i'm like either either they're going to write him out over the summer or he's going to die in the finale and i don't know the fact that the actor said that kind of i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm reading between the lines too much but that almost felt like a Goodbye. Yeah. Well, no, it, it almost felt like he was kind of like flipping off the show a little bit because because that's oh. that's a that's a it's spoiler, a spoiler. Right? It is a spoiler. Like, and yeah. so doing that, like, there's no way the the producers on the show would have wanted to let the cat out of the bag that he was leaving the show because right. it spoils the fact that he's going to die. Right. And, there were no and yeah. he, an actor in the you know in that position must have known that that's not what they would have wanted. So the fact that he said that publicly, um, and and spoiled the that aspect of this episode kind of 
makes me think that maybe there was some bad blood there. Oh, you know what well, I mean? That's sad to hear. Because otherwise, don't you? Don't, you don't do that, right? Yeah, like, you don't. Like there's, there's sometimes it's announced ahead of time. Like we're going to talk about Brandon Routh leaving Legends of Tomorrow, and that was announced months ahead of time. Yeah. But you know that's fine because knowing that he was leaving, it doesn't detract from watching these last few episodes. In fact, I think it adds to it because you can kind of see. What you know, they're doing, the character what they're deciding to, to say goodbye yeah. and so on. It sort of adds an element of, it adds an, an, an element of inevitability if you mm-hmm. know that the character is leaving the show. And, you know, if it had happened suddenly, it would have been like, oh, I guess they're leaving the show. Like, oh, but it could come back once they get settled in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and maybe they will. But it, it um, I don't know, like that feels like they got out ahead of it and they announced it because they wanted to sort of give the fans time to yep. come to terms with it. Whereas here, it just felt like they wanted, if, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to have it, if the whole point was to have Henderson's death be a sudden shocking surprise, then you don't announce it ahead of time, right? Yeah. It's, if, 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 if anything, you know, that's the one you don't announce and the one with Brandon Routh leaving is the one that you do announce yeah. because it's not supposed to be a, a big shock. So anyway, I don't know. That was just my sense of that. But I don't know. If you want to leave the show, that's fine. But I don't know. It kind of left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. But but the, the last couple of episodes of Legends were really good. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the way that... Um, and the way that they wrote Brandon Routh and Courtney Ford out, like I know that there's, I know there was a little bit of acrimony there too, um, because they didn't want to leave the show. And, oh, okay. And it's not like they, it's not like they were feuding with the producers behind the scenes or whatever. It's just the writers thought that they wanted to, they thought that their characters had sort of reached their a place where peak. it would made sense for them to go do something else, mm-hmm. and they wanted to, you know, they like to keep the the cast of the show sort of evolving Rotating, and yeah. so on too. Mm-hmm. But I think Brandon Routh would have kept doing the show for years. Like, yeah. I think he really loved doing the show and he was really sad to leave. And so, you know, filming those, filming his last few scenes, it, it was it was hard for him because it's a, it's a difficult mix of emotions. Yeah. Because it's not, it's one thing if it's your decision to leave, but if you're kind of being forced out, but at the same time you're having to act as though you're leaving yeah. of your own free will and everything, It's it, it was hard. it was hard for them. And when asked if he would come back for a guest appearance, he's like, you know, I'd like to say that I would, but right now... Frankly, I'm kind of hurt, you know, and yeah. so right now I, I don't really feel like coming back. But who knows, you know, how all, our feelings will change. But I don't know. Like it's it, it, I think it was hard for both of them to leave. And I, but I think that, you know, he's a he's a he's a professional and I think he did a really great job. Yep. And, and you know, it's the kind of thing where you can let it inform your performance a bit, too. Like yeah. he is saying goodbye to people he's worked with for years, like Katie Lotz, for example. He, I'm trying to remember if if they interacted very much, if any, on Arrow back when they were both on Arrow. But certainly it's been four or five years on Legends of Tomorrow that they've yeah. been. Mm-hmm. And Dominic Purcell. Not that he comes across as like the warmest guy who's necessarily know, best pals but with still, people behind were, the scenes. But well, still. he calls him haircut. I mean, there's relationships going back to the very yeah. first, you know, scenes together. Yeah. It's too bad because I feel like now you've just got... Um, Sarah and Mick are the only two left from the original Originals, the yeah. original crew. Um, but if that's the way they want to do it with a rotating cast, but you know, I think that now they should bring some some other interesting people in because I feel like the cast is kind of getting. A, it felt like if anything, last season the cast was getting a little too big mm-hmm. because you had all these characters and you had Mona and you yeah. had you know then they'd added Gary um, and yeah Gary yeah. was around more and yeah it felt like the cast was kind of ballooned and now you've lost several of those characters already yeah. this season so mm-hmm. I don't know but I think it was done really well the Shakespeare stuff was fun that was great um, the idea that I mean that the episode was called Romeo v, v Juliet Dawn of Justness for, for goodness <laughs> sakes like the yeah. idea that 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 uh, Shakespeare basically became like the Zack Snyder of his era because yeah. he witnessed a huge superhero brawl yeah um, it's funny the cast getting to do yeah getting to do shakespeare yeah um and you know 
some of them being Zari's I mean, hilarious. She says, Gideon, I'm off. Book. I mean, I'm sure Matt, I'm sure Matt Ryan could do great Shakespeare, but here yeah. he was kind of being Constantine doing Shakespeare, which was not as good. It's so good, but though. Zari was great, right? Zari like, was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I bet that actress seems like she's got. I mean, I'm sure most most actors to one extent or another have done a little bit of Shakespeare because I kind of feel like it's a rite of passage, even if they're not stage actors or you know thespians yeah, or whatever yeah. like i feel like it's something that you cut your teeth on yep in acting school sure. if nothing else you yeah. know so but yeah no they did, they did a great job and the way that it the way that it mirrored that and the way that it kind of i mean it's a little over the top to, to hang the whole episode kind of on ray and nate's bromance yeah when he's known sarah and nick you know for longer and they've been through more stuff together and everything but huh. You know, sure. but but it is, you know, and so it kind of makes it seem a little silly, like oh, they got but in the, universe. It makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean they're, they're best, they're, they're best friends and everything. Yeah. yeah, no, it was it was fun. I I think they did a good job with that. Agreed. Yeah. So Clone Wars, um, so we had the last episode of the whole Bad Batch arc, and then we've got two episodes now of this whole, you know, what people are loosely calling Ahsoka's walkabout mm-hmm. arc. Um, I'm definitely enjoying this arc more than the Bad Batch when we've talked about. I like you know, the Bad Batch because it felt like um any moment they could throw in something. Mm, over dramatic where echo is actually a sleeper agent and yeah it's a kid's show and i would have been all right with that that kind of twist but it would have been very very predictable and i'm glad they didn't go that route because he was hard up um uh, hard luck um it, it was it was a miracle that he survived his ordeal it's amazing that he got saved that he was brought back into the fold and now has to re-identify himself um by himself and deal with his new reality and and it's it's really nice that the writers chose to show him rebuilding in this episode and his last episode and and using his um, horrible experience for uh, for the betterment of everything for the betterment of the mission and um, as a positive like he's taking his new um, features I suppose I can call them and putting them to good use and that's very clever and that's very heroic and to put him in that picture and then to have him join the Bad Batch um, at the end I think that was very satisfying and I really liked that that's what the writers chose to do and and I'm enjoying the Ahsoka stuff as well the last couple episodes broad strokes I won't go too far into it but I'm really happy with how the story is going and the last episode was interesting and um, I like the new characters that they're introducing as well because they give a, a window into what it is that Ahsoka hasn't been seeing and is teaching her more about the reality that she lives in. So good. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm more invested in the Ahsoka character than any of the, the clone characters. So seeing her in this situation is interesting. And, mm-hmm. and so far, most of the stuff that's happening is fairly fairly predictable, but the characterization is good and the, the actors are really bouncing off each other in an interesting way. And yeah. having, having the two sisters there with Ahsoka sort of stuck in the middle is a, is an interesting dynamic that they're I feel like they're writing well. So, yep. yeah. So Star Trek Picard, we've got the oh, final couple man. of episodes of this. Et in Arcadia Ego Sum. I don't remember. <laughs> Close. But eg, Ego. No. Sum? Ego? Ego. Lego, Lego my Ego. Ha ha, hilarious. What is it called? Et in Arcadia Ego. Oh, Et in Arcadia Ego. Ego. Well, right, I mean, we, we I can took, move on from the title. Now. Listen, look, I took five years of Latin and I'm very proud of that background. I'm an Should educated lady. Six. Well, that was an elective, but I already so last, got, is that last I got year a five where, on the AP. I'll have you it's know. It's the last year where you learn how to pronounce ego. That's really where it all comes together. Ego is the American um, bastardization of how it's supposed to be pronounced. It's ego. Right. But anyway. Like the waffle. Yes. Um, like the waffle. 
so so I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with all these. We don't necessarily need to need to cover everything, but I mean, where where it's left at the end of this is a really interesting place. I mean, Picard. I mean, would you have ever thought they'd go so far as to? I mean, spoilers here, <laughs> obviously. Um, go so far as to basically kill Picard and put him in an android body. I mean, they did everything they could to reassure the character and the audience that it's like an android body. Yeah. Kind of a name only in as much as it's still it's still going to age. He's still mm-hmm. going to live sort of the remainder of his natural lifespan. He doesn't have crazy superpowers. He still feels like himself. It's not like he doesn't have emotions. Right. It's not like he has gold skin. It's not like he has super strength or he's going to live 500 years. It's sort of a distinction without a difference. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as they as they said in interviews and stuff, and, you know, I, I picked up on this too as, as it became clear what they were doing, for someone like... Picard, over these 10 episodes and even going all the way back 30 years ago to measure of a man, for someone who's always said, you know, no, Data is alive. Mm -hmm. His life is not worth any less than mine is. Mm -hmm. If you're going to, if that's going to be your position, then isn't it really interesting to make Picard, as Michael Chabon said, to make him walk the walk? Right. Right? Yeah. Like, if that's what he really believes, then Mm -hmm. it shouldn't matter to him that he's in an android body now. And if it does in some way matter to him, then that's interesting because that's maybe a way in which he's not quite living up to his own aspirations or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't really have a sense, much of a sense of that happening here. He seems like he's okay with it. Yeah. If it it beats dying, right? But still, (laughs) it'd be interesting if next season he's like, oh, you know, like, things don't, taste quite the same anymore or right. and and it'd be interesting because they've already had the scenes earlier the season where he talked to seven of nine and she's like did you ever fully feel like you regained your humanity yeah. and he's like no right yeah but now to know that he's not human anymore in any way and he never will be again mm-hmm. how does that how is that going to sit with him is that kind of the culmination of that arc or is that maybe going to cause further conflict within him right mm-hmm. like certainly this season ends on an upbeat note for him like yeah. he doesn't really seem like he's conflicted or, yeah, or any yeah. of this but it'd be interesting stuff and and all the stuff on the synth planet i mean obviously it's the setting in the final two episodes and a lot that goes on we meet a new character played by brent spiner we meet even more synths mm-hmm. some of which are played by isa briones mm-hmm. um oh she did a fantastic Narek, Narek shows up and then he's like he's used and then he kind of helps a little bit then he disappears yeah like he gets tackled in the final fight scene then we don't see him again for the rest of the episode is he still their prisoner was he handed off to starfleet is he in the brig of the la serena like where is he like we we literally don't know um narissa gets kicked down a borg shaft by seven of nine that was nice um yeah, Riker shows up. So we even said we even said when we were talking about the episode that Riker and Troy were in that you know this is a nice note for them to end on if we never see them again. But I but it wouldn't surprise me if Riker shows up in uniform by the end of the season, like riding into save Picard or something, and that's exactly what ended up happening. Oh, so it was nice to see him reactivate yeah. his commission and fly in as Captain Riker. Yeah, couldn't let you um, have all the fun. Yeah. yeah, and then the scene the scene where. Uh, Riker's like, okay, you know, problem solved. We're going to go off. You know, you've got things here. See you around. Picard, see you around. And Picard's like, yes, yes, goodbye, Will. And then they end, it ends the transmission. Yeah. And Picard just takes a long moment and says adieu. Like, he's like, he doesn't think he's ever going to see this guy yeah. again, you know? He, yeah. That really got me. I mean, I was I was tearing up through a lot of this. Like, once it, once it was clear that Picard wasn't going to survive this encounter. And, yeah. And it's like, I don't know. What did you, what did you, did you think, what did you think was going to happen? Because I was like, man, they're, they might really kill him off. 
Like, I not, so. not that they were uh, lying. Not, not that they were lying about doing a season two. No, but what if up, season yeah. two is like a Picard show without Picard? Picard, yeah. What if I Patrick Stewart is still is still in it occasionally as like a memory, a memory or a dream or something, kind of yeah. like how Data was in this season. But the show is about these other characters carrying on for him. Wouldn't yeah. that be an interesting twist that nobody would see coming? Like, I actually thought they might kill him off permanently. I had that thought cross my mind as well, but then it became clear to me. Then that you had the golem gonna... there, and it really felt like. Yeah, as soon as I saw the golem, I was yeah, like, "Somebody's oh, I ended get it. up in that golem, yeah. right?" Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I thought for sure. Um, I actually had the thought cross my mind where that little imagination device that fixed the entire ship was going to fix his brain. So I was I like, don't "Why I don't you give that a go?" More but, for machinery. I, I would have found uh, that fair, a little far fetched yeah. if it just suddenly cure incurable illnesses in a human brain. Not like they well, would have had a lot like of experience. Well, if it's like a little aneurysm, I mean, I don't human know. Human illnesses on their android planet, anyway. So I yeah, don't I don't know. Um, but the the data stuff is really interesting too. So. Yeah. So we learn that um, we learn that uh, as we knew from the beginning of the season, Data uh, transferring his consciousness basically into B four didn't really take. But uh, when Maddox left the Daystrom Institute, he took you know a neuron from B 4s brain, positronic net, so that he could create all these twins since yes. on this planet. Mm-hmm. But he was also able to. retrieve you know basically transfer data's consciousness from that into like this simulation this quantum simulation basically where data has been living in like this purgatory basically right for almost 20 years yeah um alone i guess like who knows if maddox maddox or or, um, somehow i don't know uh what's his name the new soon something soon artin soon or something i started with an a uh oh man archibald yeah that's it but who knows if he know. was like visiting him in there or if anybody could or if Data was just like alone in there yeah. with his books or something like but that's a weird existence. But Picard gets transferred in there as like a way station on the way to putting him in the Gollum body. And so he's able to have one last interaction with Data. Yeah. And it's really nice because Data's death in Nemesis was so sudden. Right. Mm-hmm. He didn't get to Picard didn't get to say goodbye to him here. Picard not only gets to say goodbye to him, but Data gets to go out on his own terms. He's yeah. like, I, this is not, he doesn't really say it in so many words, but he doesn't want to continue with this existence anymore. He's mm-hmm. like, this is not what I wanted. Like, I've always wanted to be more human. Here, I'm just basically a brain in a jar. Mm-hmm. And he says, a butterfly that lives forever is not a butterfly. Like, mm-hmm. I, if the culmination of my existence. journey to be human, to, to be more human is to embrace mortality and I have to be allowed to die. Mm-hmm. So it's, basically becomes like a scenario of of euthanasia yeah where picard and gerardi and soon basically pull the little isolinear chips out of the computer core or whatever yeah and data slowly drifts away yep picard gets to say goodbye to him picard gets to tell him he's sorry that he died in his place data was you know says you know you shouldn't be sorry this was my choice it's what i would have done you know, you would have done the I same for me, basically. I love how he equates it, but I love how he equates it to the situation that Picard just found himself in, which is to say, do you feel sad for sacrificing your life for the lives of all the synths that you saved? Well, no, Picard says. Well, why would you think in a moment that I feel sad for having sacrificed my life for you? Yeah. Oh, man, gut punch. And then he gets to, then he gets to kick back in his, like, smoking jacket, yeah. his, like, Sherlock Holmes smoking jacket. And he like 
he like grows super old all mm-hmm. of a sudden on the cat. Like it, it's metaphorical, sure. basically what's going on. But he sort of withers away, and, and he's visited and, and by Picard, Picard is, in the like, uniform. But it's not like Picard left. So is this like some remnant of Picard, or is this just like Data's imagination yeah. of Picard, the way he wants to remember him, like what's going on there? But Picard is there and is you know he has next company. gen uniform. I feel that it was holding so important. his friend's hand yeah. as he dies, like. And Brent Spiner has said that, and who knows, like they, they, these actors can change their mind, but he said that as far as he's concerned, he's not going to play Data anymore. Yeah. Like he wanted to come back and do this, this show for the fans, but also because when they told him what they were going to do with Data, yeah. he thought it would afford him the opportunity to give the character a proper send off in yeah. a way that Nemesis didn't really. Yeah. Um, and now he's done that and he's like, it's getting increasingly hard even with CG to make it believable that I could play the character yeah. physically and so this is as good an, as a, an ending as I'm ever going to get for him and you know so I think that's probably the last we're going to say and maybe we'll see him as as, as various soongs yeah. but I think that's I think we've said goodbye, goodbye to, to data, data now yeah. I think that's that's it you know so I don't yeah. know it's a it's a momentous thing and I was definitely tearing up you know for the whole thing with Picard when he was clear he was going to sacrifice himself um, mm-hmm. to, to convince um, Soji, Soji not, not to, to not to call annihilate the, all, the tentacle monsters, the, the giant android Cthulhu monster there from the other yeah. dimension. Um, yeah. To to his to his death, all the other characters crowding around crying to, you know, seeing how his death affected Rafi and Elnor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even Seven to how like Seven Seven's little scene with Rios there. Yeah, that was crazy. Where they're like, yeah, we both screwed up and did things we said we wouldn't do, but. Yep. You know, I killed someone and you just watched someone else die. So I kind of win at being the screw up. So let's <laughs> toast to that, basically. Um, yeah, but terrible, terrible. What passes for alcohol here? Yeah. They put Picard in the Gollum body and then everybody's happy. Um, the synth band. I do agree with some of the stuff I've heard, you know, on podcasts and stuff, which like it was a little fast. And you're like, oh, synth band is lifted. Everybody's happy. Yay. It's like mm-hmm. that really that fast after like 15 years of like inculcated hatred against synths in the federation overnight they just like i get it that they were probably presented with all the evidence of commodore o's treachery and the romulan infiltrating the federation and the fact that the synths weren't in charge of their own actions on mars Mm -hmm. i get that they you know the federation council is probably presented but it does seem like the kind of thing that would take a few weeks or a few months to sort of like rattle around before you know what i mean yeah um so that felt a little easy, but still, you know, at the end, you're left with the crew is all, our, our crew is together. Seven is there, seemingly now part of the crew. She and Rafi look like they have a bit of a relationship forming, brewing, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and they're going to go off somewhere. We don't know where mm-hmm. to have further adventures. I love that they build the entire La Serena because those last shots, especially like we throughout the season, you don't really see it often, but it definitely pays off in that last shot. The fact that it's all one giant set. Um, it's really nice to kind of wander through the entire ship and see what's going on with all the characters in their own little corners of it. Um, I just, I, I think that adds to the majesty of it. It's really great. Even the little, even the little touches. I mean, obviously you've got blue skies playing at the end. Which, which was sung a, by? Sung by Issa Briones, yeah. which is, and it's a lovely, you know, yep. callback to Nemesis and everything. But even the little things like the Picard maneuver. Yeah, um, yeah. Girardi's like, oh, didn't you do the... W- Wait, isn't that a name it's for a thing. It's a thing you did in the That's Enterprise. It's like, thing, actually, it? it was the Stargazer, <laughs> young lady. Um, but that is a thing. I don't Patch, know if Patch. you remembered. It was a thing that he would do. It doesn't really seem like it makes a ton of sense it, the way we see these things normally work. But the idea was that you would like warp super close 
to right. the enemy vessel. And so for a split second, it would appear that it was still in two places at once, your vessel, like right. where it was and where it is now. Yeah. Not quite sure that makes a lot of sense. And even if it does, it would only seemingly last for like a split second. Well, it, no, hang on a second. Yes, you're absolutely but right. But here they like take it to time. the nth degree. No, but here's the theory behind that. Watch me science it to you. <laughs> um, it's because you're moving faster than the speed of light. And so if the light particles hit your position where they were and where they are, you're still going to actually bounce off in both yeah for a second your sensors yeah. might register two sh- two things but by the time you actually have time to react and fire phasers like the second you're, your eyes register what you're seeing out the view screen you're only going to see there's one. no there's right. no time there's no point in time pick any point at right. which your eyes looking at the view screen are going to see two ships yeah so it might fool your sensors for a split second but all the humans on the sh- on the ship or whoever you're fighting are their actual senses aren't going to be fooled for even a second so it doesn't make a lot of sense but here they're able to amp it up to the nth degree by using that android yeah. doohickey mm-hmm. to the actually create like hundreds creation. of fake la serenas with fake warp signatures and everything to sort of it's the picard awesome. maneuver times 100 yep um it's pretty fun until but Riker, that one's legit until Riker and the fleet can show up yep yeah yeah it was it was really good i i think it was it was really well done and and um I think thematically the way it ended, you know, with Picard kind of dying but not dying. And and obviously you've got this whole rebirth thing going on here too, right? Yeah, like the whole yeah. season has really been about, because like Picard said, like he wasn't really living. He was just sitting on that vineyard waiting to die. But now yeah. he's literally been given new life. Yeah. Not just a new lease on life in terms of like now he doesn't have to worry about dying from this illness, but he literally has a new body, a new, right. an entire new perspective on life, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. And you can really see it at the end there with just he seems lighter, you yeah. know, even though... Mm-hmm. He's actually probably many, many times heavier because <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's made it of metal now. But um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like it, and it just really it, it seems like it's been, you know, it's it's a rejuvenation. It's, it's sort of like a it's a it's a say, saying goodbye to a lot of old stuff this season. You know, like we say mm-hmm. we say goodbye to we were reintroduced to Riker and Troy and maybe we'll see more of them, but we say goodbye to Data. Picard is given this new lease on life. How interesting we're would it be? We're reintroduced to Seven of Nine. We say goodbye to characters like, I'm not sure if there's a huge groundswell of like, oh no, not Bruce Maddox, not each yet. Yeah, you know? But yeah. we say goodbye to those characters and we you know, we meet a new soon. We say goodbye to Data. Like There's a lot of like stories ending and beginning at the same time. Yeah. Here, so mm-hmm. yeah. What were you going to say? I think it's fascinating that they opened up the door for um, him to meet counselor troy again and this time she can't read him i guess but that, i mean i think that would, that would be, be that'd be like a funny scene for five seconds and then it would move on to other things well, like that's not you can't i'm not you can't really build like a whole premise for a whole episode around that but yeah that's true it'd no. be funny if the next time they meet she has no idea what he's feeling but yeah yeah that would be a first for her well anyway um i don't know i just <laughs> this is a little aside that i wanted to mention that happened in my head yeah, so I don't know when we're going to get season two. Yeah, um, I know or how right- Guinan fits into it. Yeah, I so, am so excited to see her. Yeah, so Patrick Stewart invited Whoopi Goldberg to be on the show. So I feel like you could kind of write her in just about anywhere. Just have whatever Picard's dealing with, he goes to talk to her. Kind of yeah. the same way he went to Riker and Troy in the last season. Um, there were rumors for a while that they were talking to other... I mean... If, if they do, th- I, I, for some reason, I keep seeing people say three seasons, three seasons. I don't know if that's been officially stated anywhere that Patrick Stewart wants to do three seasons and then he's done. Or if, because last I saw, I mean, at first people were assuming, well, this is just going to be like six episodes and done, right? There's no right. way he wants to do this for years. Yeah. Um, and then I then people were saying, no, like he, he it's envisioned to be multiple seasons. Now I, now I hear people saying three years. So who, who knows if they've got like a three season plan mapped out. It would be nice if by the end of those three seasons, 
we've touched base with all the classic cast members again. You know, yeah. we've already not we've already knocked off. We've got four of the classic seven or eight, depending on whether you count Wesley or not. Mm-hmm. And you don't if you don't count Guinan. But it'd be nice to to see Worf, Jordy, mm-hmm. Crusher, mm-hmm. maybe even Wesley, Guinan. Yeah. Um, one more time over the course of these next couple of seasons. And if, you know, if they've got a plan, they could, I mean, they could write them in. I mean, they could have written any or all of them into this season and it wouldn't have been that difficult, right? Like Beverly mm-hmm. could have been the one instead of his old friend from the Stargazer to come and give him his medical diagnosis, right? Like Worf could have rode in with the Klingon cavalry at the end of this episode instead of Riker. Like they, if they really wanted to get everybody in there, they could. I mean, yeah, I mean yeah, Michael Dorn and LeVar Burton visited the set on the episode that, that uh, Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis were in. So yeah. they're all still... Friends. They're all still there. And I'm sure they would jump at the chance to, to have a little cameo if the if the role were right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be nice to, to see everybody again. And, and who knows? Like, now that now that they're doing all these shows and they're always looking for more stories to tell just because patrick stewart only wants to do say for the sake of argument he only wants to do three seasons and then he's done with the role forever doesn't mean jonathan frakes doesn't want to do a a riker movie or something like that where who knows you know what i mean then like lavar burton's in that or something like now that now that you've broken the seal Mm -hmm. and we're we're telling newton we're not just telling prequel stories or alternate universe stories we're telling stories that take place in the late 24th century now yeah. almost by the next season it'll be the 25th century because it was 2399 in this in this episode so we're almost in the whole century later than yep. the one the next gen was set in um now that they've broken that seal they could do more stories yeah. about pretty much any of these characters i mean the the 7 of 9 spin-off where she's flying around in that board yeah. cube with a couple of other characters fighting crime or whatever practically <laughs> writes itself yep um that's and awesome. yeah, and they've got obviously characters from Deep Space Nine and Voyager that that they haven't even touched either. If they want to bring in some of those other characters, you know, like I'm yeah. sure, you know, Alexander Siddig or Cole Meany or whatever would, would oh, have man, fun doing that's a little, so great. you know, like who knows? Cameos, I mean, yeah. but I, they could, I mean, any one of these characters could sustain a little miniseries or movie or or whatever, or or storyline in somebody else's show. So yeah, I really love what they did with the series, with the with the show, with the writing, um, and obviously the the cinematography is amazing, and the coloring and everything. Thoroughly, thoroughly love this show. Oh, and if you guys haven't seen Will Wheaton hosting the Ready Room, highly recommend that as a follow up because we've been enjoying that as well. And it's really nice to see the little behind the scenes featurettes and the interviews and Will Wheaton's total, total fandom um, every time. So it's really yeah. I wonder if they're going to keep doing those because the way he introduces it, he doesn't say you know your your source for all things star trek picard he says your source you he always says your source for all things star trek universe which leads me to believe that this might be like um an omnipresent after show oh, interesting that just because obviously he's got more of a connection to the picard cast than say the discovery cast but when right. discovery comes back in a few months maybe they'll keep doing it right and it'll still Ooh, be him be fun. talking to those cast members oh that'd be fun that's I mean, so I'm cool. sure he'd. I'm sure he'd like to do it. Right. And He's it, really it seems to have been. A, it. Seems to have been a success. Yeah. Um, I, I the, the the sort of the weird. They kind of experimented with. That. I don't know if you even remember, but we watched like one or two, and then we fell off. But they they had a similar after show, the oh, first season of Discovery, yes. but it was hosted by people that nobody knew. Well, or, yeah. I mean, I knew them, but they were a little bit. Mm, it wasn't it, very. It's a very like fine this. line. This is nice. It yeah. can it can be cringy mm-hmm. if you have. someone hosting that who's not the right combination of um 
engaged, sincere, yeah. but also fanish. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if they're too fanish, it can be cringy. If they don't yeah. care, if they're not fans at all, it's super obvious that this like they're just cashing right. a paycheck and they don't know or understand what they're what, talking what's to these happening, people yeah. about. Right? Mm-hmm. Will Wheaton is the perfect person to host this. Yeah, yeah. Because he's he's an like an established internet personality. You yep. know, he's got mm-hmm. obviously he's got a lot of experience. Does nineteen do it for you? Anyway. Being in front <laughs> being in front of the camera, both as you know, as himself, as like an internet personality and as an actor. Mm-hmm. He's he's in this world, he's a Star Trek fan, he knows a lot of these. He's part actors. of the actual family. Even the yeah. newer actors, he's probably and, um, interacted with several times at recent conventions. So yeah. he probably knows Sonequa Martin-Green and all those people too, not as well as he knows Patrick Stewart, obviously. obviously but yeah. Um, yeah, he's the, and, and he is like, you know, he's like an affable, fun guy to have on there yeah. in the way that if they had, you know, somebody he's else. a good audience else, like identification. Like, like Ethan yeah. Phillips or whatever could probably do a good job. Yeah. That, or Robert Ricardo, right? The, yeah. But, there would be a, but it's, it wouldn't be quite the same, you know? Like having Will Wheaton, who's like, even though now he's however the heck old he is. He's, he's like 40. He's in his 40s yeah. now. But he, he still reads as like the, the excited young fan. Yeah, yeah. In a way that someone like Robert Ricardo there, it would it would. It would it, definitely be more like the uncle. Yeah. Like, vibe versus the brother vibe. Yeah. yeah. He's got that that excited kid feeling about the whole thing which lends it a good amount of energy without being like awkward to watch you know? yes yes and it's and he does a, i don't know how much like he comes up with these questions himself or if he's handed the cue cards but you watch some of these other after shows like you know the walking dead after show and, and some of those things and it's it's basically just like everybody patting each other on the back for what an awesome show they just made right you know right. and there's an element of that here it's not like i don't think will wheaton is ever going to get up there and say you know i think this episode was was really terrible and right here's yeah. they're never going to go that far but there's a way to do it where it seems like a puff piece and there's a way to do it where it seems like it's coming from a, a place of genuine heart. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like he's doing a good job of, of making it the latter yeah. in a way where someone else, even someone else who's a Star Trek cast member, it might come off as just like, okay, we're all paid to be here so we can say how awesome this show is. Right. You know, yeah. It doesn't feel that way. He feels like he's he's honestly excited about it. And yeah. I believe that he is. So yeah. I think he's, he's the, the right person to do it. And that could... And because he's a fan of the franchise, yeah. the entire franchise, yeah. like before he was even a part of it, before his show existed, he was a fan of the franchise. Yeah. So it's not like he's only invested in his version of the show. Right. Um, I could buy him being, you know, equally engaged talking with people about Discovery or Lower Decks or whatever the next right. thing is. You know? Yeah. So I do hope they continue to do it. Yeah. There's no way to know, of course, like how many viewers it was getting, of course, because CBS All Access, I don't think, is going to release those numbers. But they were posting the Ready Room episodes on YouTube also, and they seemed like they were getting you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of views. So it yeah. seems like it was probably six. And that probably is only just a fraction of the people that were watching it on CBS All Access. So it seems like a lot of people were watching it. I think if I can comment on what you said, like the previous show, the after show was hosted by Matt Myra, who I know from the Nerdist podcast, um, but I've only ever heard him, you know, talk. But Star Trek fans need to right. know them. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, that too. But here's the other thing is that the actors didn't really know him. So there was automatically a, a palpable distance the actors between and writers the host need to fe- and need to feel like the person talking to them is, is one of them. And so there were stories I mean? that they probably kept to themselves. There were opinions that they probably kept to themselves because that's what you do when you feel a little bit guarded for... Uh, when you're sitting down at a table with somebody who you've just met and there's nothing that I can I mean there's no reason to hold back like that I mean sorry there's no I'm not criticizing that dynamic but I am highlighting it because that also helps um because Matt Myra is funny 
but he's not a really fantastic interviewer because sometimes he makes things about himself or sometimes he's oblivious to other people's tones. Like, um, I like him, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that he was the right host for that situation because, like I said, the actors don't really know him and he didn't really have that nailed down personality that can draw those things out of a person and, and really... Um, that's n that's not who he is. He's a comedian. He's he's a funny guy and he's a chum, but he's not really a warm interviewing presence where somebody would open up to them having just met him. That's not who he is. Um, and I think that kind of added to the dynamic and maybe, uh, I hate to say it, the failure of that after show. Because we saw it like how many times? Or did it we even continue it, it after twice. that? I, I think it continued for the, it the first season, but yeah. then they didn't do it again for the second season. I yeah. Which I'm sure is a bummer because Matt Myra genuinely is a top to bottom, soup to nuts Star Trek fan. Like he knows all the things and he is excited by all the things. And there's nothing wrong with him as a person, but I don't think he was a very good fit for that role. I don't know. I'm just it's it's I'm a hard fit. It's a hard it's fit tough, to find someone like who, you just said. where it's not cringy, basically. Yeah. Where it, it doesn't just feel like everybody patting themselves on the back or someone pretending to be interested or someone who's too interested or like everybody has to feel like they want to be there. And you couldn't really pick anybody better than Will Wheaton because yeah. he's one he's one of them. Like the fa the fans know him, the cast and crew know, know him. him. Everybody knows that he's a fan. You know he's he's engaging and warm. He's a good interviewer. When he when he when he talks about himself, it's never self-aggrandizing. It's always as a way of like... Connecting. As a way of like relating to the person he's yeah. talking to and like drawing an analogy between his own experiences and theirs as a way of making them feel like part of the family or whatever. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah. And so, he's... Yeah. So however, yeah, he's however much he's fit. writing his own lines for that or whoever is writing them behind the, <laughs> behind the scenes is doing a good job. I'm sure that he pitches a bunch of questions. But, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I bet he pitches a lot of his own stuff and he does fly off the cuff quite a bit. So, I mean, I, I love him. I love I always did. And um, I like Matt Myra, too. Don't get me wrong. Don't hate me. But yeah, I, yeah, it just didn't work because I, I felt the distance between him and the people sitting across the table from him. So that probably was well, that a was a weird situation, too, though, because yeah. Star Trek was was just coming back. Discovery was this weird new show. Nobody knew what to make of it or if it was even going to be good because right. it looked and sounded so different. And 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 so and nobody knew there was a new cast. Nobody had heard of these producers anymore because yeah, this before, was before like the first convention. Star, Star this before, was before anything. Didn't Star Trek yep. in so long. Mm -hmm. Everybody was new in front of the camera, behind the camera. The fans were wary of it. Yep. And so it was it was a bad fit. I don't think even if Will Wheaton had been there in that incarnation of this show that, that it would have worked. But mm, now with yeah. with everybody comfortable with this new era of Star Trek um, and with Picard being the show to launch it, especially, yeah, uh, was a, is a good fit. Even if now they continue on to do it for Discovery, Picard was the perfect way to launch it because he's able to talk to the, the cast and crew Right. And, and the people that he knew the best because, you know, the most of them come from his version of Star Trek. Yep. Um, in a way that it would have seemed, he would have seemed kind of like a bit of an outsider if it was starting with him just talking about Discovery. Because like, you don't know these people. You weren't on that show. But now it would seem like a natural outgrowth of this. So, yeah. 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 And that's it. That's it for our shows. Wow. So, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, welcome back to us. <laughs> 
after a long time of being laid up in bed. Um, and if you want to reach out to us, um, <laughs> um, our email address is mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our Twitter is at smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. Can you think of one? No. <laughs> How about... Ooh. <laughs>